Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is September 10th, 2019, and uh, it's Tuesday. Tomorrow is 9-11, and we have a lot uh, to talk about. Um, so we today I want to talk about things that not a lot of people are talking about. Yesterday, everyone you know, went with it. Oh my gosh, Taliban Trump. Oh my gosh. How could he sit with terrorists? Oh my God. Bush would never do that. Oh my gosh. Reagan would never do that. They all did. Bush worse than many, both Bushes, Clinton too, all of them, Obama, the whole nine yards. We'll get into that. We'll talk about Brexit. So I got my hands on some really juicy information, which I've uh, kind of been working with a lot of journalists putting together um, the real reason why Brexit's not really happening and what this Ireland backstop is. I did get a couple of emails yesterday uh, from people uh, pretty much uh, asking me to elaborate on Brexit. And to all my uh, British listeners um, or Britons, uh, because I have a lot of Scottish fans too and Irish, today's uh, second hour will be all about that with the juicy tidbit so you understand what is going on at the end of the second hour um, because you'll, you need the context before you can understand it. Boris Johnson, he's got his work cut out for him. Queen came in, she totally... I mean, it was expected. We knew this. Anyway, so where do we start? Let's start on the whole Taliban Trump. See, that is something that irritates me the most, uh, you know, from these past couple of days where people are chiming in as if they know what they're talking about. And you're going to be like, well, what are you, a know-it-all? Well, I actually know the <laughs> the whole Taliban uh, situation very well. Um, I knew about the Taliban. Well, okay, let me put it this way. I read. How's that? I read, I educate myself, and I find out who the Taliban are, what they're doing, what relationships we've had with them, etc. So the first thing that all of you need to know, number one, and I mentioned that yesterday, is none of you pretty much know why we went to war with Afghanistan in the first place. I mean, I won't answer that question, but those of you that are listening, I want you to think about it. Why do you think we went to war with Afghanistan? Okay, and I know the majority of you are like, "Oh, nine eleven, of course." We wanted Obama. Uh, we, oops, <laughs> um, Freudian slip. We wanted Osama bin Laden, and uh, he wouldn't. You know, they wouldn't give him up. And you know what? I'm going to tell you why everything failed. 
John Bolton. He needs to be out. Out, 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 out. And I'll tell you why. The reason John Bolton needs to be out is because he was involved in these failed talks. And by the way, it wasn't peace talks. It wasn't the president sitting down and saying, all right, let's, we want to do this and we want to do that and blah, blah. Nope. No, 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 no. It was not that at all. We were mediating mediating between two political parties. Oh, what, Tori? You're nuts. Uh, Taliban political party? Guess what? F- newsflash. The Taliban are a political party in Afghanistan. They have always been a political party in Afghanistan. They came together in the 60s trying to remove communism. You know, The Taliban were the progressives, okay? Just so you know, the progressive conservatives based on Islamic values. They were pretty benign, so benign that when the USSR collapsed, guess what the United States did? Hey, Taliban, we'll help you. We'll give you some money and you can help us overthrow more Russian, you know, countries. And so that way we can have more control over what happens and Russia becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And guess what? Chechnya, Georgia, you know, that whole Western side of the Caspian Sea loaded with tons of U.S. dollars in the late 80s. (laughs) Remember, I've always said Bush 41 was a three-term president, funded the Taliban like no one's business. Did you know that the leader, the the, the Chechen guerrilla that led the movements to kind of like attack Russia, take more land, etc., was actually Jordanian? And did you know that it was an Islamic uh, revolution and Islamic terrorism? We funded the rebels. We empowered them. But keep in mind. In Afghanistan, the Taliban, so much chaos after communism left, they had no idea what they were doing. Now, the Taliban political party was made by a bunch of successful um, business people, just so you know, under communist rule. They still were pretty more successful, even though communism redistributes. They're still, you know, the, the, the casties, the classes of rich and poor, just so that you understand. So I want you to picture this. The communism goes away. The Taliban are a little bit more richer as a political party. They had a bigger voice. And guess what they had control of? <laughs> the majority of the poppy plant fields. So that was a very high, uh, commodity. Uh, you know, 60% now, almost 75% of all poppy, poppy plant exports are done through Afghanistan. Guess who the biggest client is? The biggest client that Afghanistan has for poppy plants are the pharmaceutical companies as of 1988. Whoa. Opioid epidemic, jihadis, Taliban, Afghanistan, war, which, by the way, the first time we ever shot missiles, and they were 60 at once, was back in 1998, August 20th of 1998, just to be exact. But you know, we all know this. Bolton knew this. He knows exactly what was going on. I'm telling you, it's coming. It's going to be a boom. Anytime now, we're going to see it happen because I said this months ago, there are people in the administration that need to go because they are the ones throwing wrenches in progress that's being made. I mean, why were we in Qatar negotiating for the Taliban? That is not how things happen. So, 
Enough of me just dumping information. Let's take this step by step. So, as I said, we funded the Taliban, just a faction of it, to help and support other Muslims. And remember, spelling counts. See, Osama bin Laden used to be Usama, U-S-A-M-A, bin Laden, L-A-D-I-N, on all government documentation, intelligence, you know, intelligence communications, cables, you name it. It was only after 1998, after we started bombing Afghanistan, (laughs) that his name changed to Osama bin Laden. And you know, what's really funny is, is that the New York Post just dropped that article this weekend saying, oh, Mueller like covered for the Saudis. First of all, we need to be paying attention to something very important. The Saudis weren't so much the concern, guys. I'm going to tell you this straight out. Because the Saudis had renounced and taken away Osama bin Laden's, you know, um, uh, ID as a Saudi. They had frozen all his assets uh, from what he did in Somalia. Did you guys know that? Did you know that we trained Osama bin Laden as a Saudi, right? As a Saudi, we trained him to help us promote peace. Well, you know, late 80s, what did we do? Uh, We were in Somalia. We were trying to eradicate what was going on, this extreme Muslim, you know, kind of um, environment that was happening Well, bottom line is, um, it should have been done. It should have been done earlier. Let me take a hiatus right here. Let me play you a clip from the president and what he had to say, uh, in regards to the Taliban and, um, what he said. Say it. They're dead. They're dead. As far as I'm concerned, they're dead. They thought that they had to kill people in order to put themselves in a little better negotiating position. When they did that, they killed 12 people. One happened to be a great American soldier, a wonderful young man from Puerto Rico, families from Puerto Rico. And you can't do that. You can't do that with me. So they're dead as far as I'm concerned. And we've hit the Taliban harder in the last four days than they've been hitting over 10 years. So that's the way it is. Say it what? No, actually, in terms of advisors, I took my own advice. I like the idea of meeting. I've met with a lot of bad people and a lot of good people during the course of the last almost three years. And I think meeting is a great thing. I think that meeting with You know, you're talking about war. There are meetings with war. Otherwise, wars would never end. You'd have them go on forever. Uh, We had a meeting scheduled. Uh, It was my idea, and it was my idea to terminate it. I didn't even, I didn't discuss it with anybody else. When I heard, very simply, that they killed one of our soldiers and 12 other innocent people, I said, there's no way I'm meeting on that basis. There's no way I'm meeting. They did a mistake. And by the way, They are telling people they made a big mistake. They're saying it loud and clear that they made a big mistake, John. Why did you want to have them in Camp David? And what would you do about Afghanistan now? Well, Camp David's held meetings with a lot of people that would have been perceived as being pretty tough customers and pretty bad people. There have been plenty of so-called bad people brought up to Camp David for meetings. 
And uh, the alternative was the White House, and you wouldn't have been happy with that either. So Camp David would have been a good place, but I don't want to meet under circumstances where they go around and try and make themselves a little bit more important by killing a soldier, by killing actually also a great NATO soldier, in addition to our soldier, and also a total of 12 people. I don't want that. But, you know, Camp David has had many meetings that I guess people would not have considered politically correct. Yes, Steve. Well, we're looking at that and uh, we're thinking about it. You know, as I've said, we've been policemen there for a long time and the government's going to have to take responsibility or do whatever it is they do. I've been saying from the campaign that we want to get out at the earliest possible time. Uh, we're doing a very good job. Our soldiers are incredible, but they're serving as policemen to a large extent. I just made a statement on it. Uh, yeah, we'd like to get out, but we'll get out at the right time. Wow, right? So um, just so people know, um, it's um, the media hasn't told you exactly what the negotiations were. So I'm going to break it down to you. I'm a little bit distracted, and this is why I played this clip a little bit earlier, only because I have an article that's in draft that was actually published, and then we pulled it out this morning to do it a little bit later, um, which is labeled the Taliban Diaries. And in there, I even noted that maybe we should ask John Bolton why all of this failed, if he stays around long enough to tell us because yesterday I had some great conversations. This is going to be a Taliban diary, a two part section. Uh, we've already completed both parts. The first one was going out. So I'm going to like walk you through, um, how we put it out. So yesterday I was upset that everyone was like Taliban Trump, 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 <laughs> And it was so outrageous to see people, uh, you know, say these things, both on the left and the right. It was kind of like, oh, no, he got two scoops. We only got, you know, everybody else got one. That's that's what it looked at like to me, because it was coming from people with half-baked knowledge, you know, and uh, semi-educated on the matter. So Saturday, the president tweeted out that... um, uh, you know, he, not everybody knew, but he was, uh, gonna be meeting with major Taliban leaders and with the president of Afghanistan, and they were gonna secretly meet, uh, in Camp David on Sunday to discuss these things. Now, uh, these peace talks weren't peace talks like, oh, yeah, you know, we need peace. If the, if this nation of Afghanistan has stability, correct stability, then we can pull our troops out, right? That's how it is. So, um, the stability is what's necessary now many people fail to see that the president was mediating between the political party of taliban and president ghani's party of afghanistan so taliban afghanistan president ghani and they were trying to find a middle ground because everyone in afghanistan is is just tired now with the war on uh you know uh the opioids the opioid epidemic is a big issue um and uh, you know the pharmaceutical companies are getting uh you know strong-armed we've got the european union trying to grab a, a foothold within afghanistan so they're you know um mediating in that sense of trying to hold on to them you know 
but the president's like, listen, man, I can't be spending money and staying here because I want to police how people make drugs and who you kill and what you do. You guys are tired. The Al Qaeda, you know, song, which by the way, Al uh, Qaeda is used to be spelled A L hyphen Q U Q A I D A. Now it's Q A E D A. Just spellings is very important, guys. Um, so. What happened is, is that the only issue that the Taliban right now have with the um, with the president of Afghanistan is that they don't want the headquarters of their political party to be in Afghanistan. And you're going to be like, well, hold on a second. What? Yeah. It's like the Democrats saying we don't um, want to, you know, have a DNC headquarters in the U.S. We're going to have it in Mexico. Which would totally make sense since they're fundraising there. So um, the Taliban, that is the issue here. This is the mediation. We even sent out our own envoy down to the country that the Taliban wanted to set their, you know, headquarters to. And that is Qatar. And you're going to think, why Qatar? Uh, Why uh, do they want um, a home base in Qatar? It makes absolutely no sense. So we mediated one to find out exactly why they want their own political headquarters in Doha, Qatar. And two, to help facilitate that if the Afghani government was willing to accept it. So that is what this mediation was for. I mean, for us, we were like, all right, let's just figure this out. Let's send our own people in Qatar and figure out why a political party of Afghanistan wants to be headquartered in Qatar. It makes absolutely no sense. Obviously, with the second part of this um, Taliban Trump uh, Taliban diaries is going to um, uh, demonstrate how, the root of this. But this is what they were discussing, you guys. It wasn't like, hey, stop killing. Hey, no Islam law. You're going to just deal with Western stuff. No, it wasn't. It was... Uh, President Ghani in 2018 said, I am willing to give Taliban, uh, you know, headquarters in, you know, um, Kabul or wherever they want so they can have their political party. And that way we can die tensions down and start talking because unbeknownst to many, the, the, the Taliban have a big stronghold. They, they, they command a lot of the land in, um, Afghanistan. So, you know, (laughs) the question there goes, okay, you guys want to be a political party. You want to be acknowledged. You don't need to have to fight. You don't need to have to kill. We can all talk uh, because in the end, it's only the Afghanis that are getting killed. Really? Uh, The Americans are dumping in money with into infrastructure like they always do. And um, maybe we could just get rid of them, take whatever they've done for us right now and build on it together for a better tomorrow for Afghanistan. So they started to talk amongst themselves. Whereas in January of 2019, the Taliban leader said, all right, we're a political party. I get it. All right, let's do this. But we don't want the headquarters here. We want it in Qatar. (laughs) So that my friends is exactly what the discussions were. Now, Having said that, you know, Reagan sat down with terrorists, right? He called them great people. And terrorist is in the eye of the beholders. Let's be honest. Um, It is in the eye of the beholders. Bush 41, 
created foundations to elevate Osama bin Laden, post-USSR, of course, uh, known as Osama bin Laden. Clinton funded and aided the Taliban to help destabilize Russia even further in the early 90s and then uh, started bombing Afghanistan before 9-11 because, you know, Osama bin Laden at the end of the 80s when he was in, you know, Somalia flipped on the Americans. He said he was like, nah, man. Jihad all the way. Let's do this. You remember how Omar was talking about all the Somalis that were killed and, you know, what? Americans killed in Somalia? Who cares? It was Osama bin Laden that did that. And so here is where it gets interesting. We saw crazy conservatives come out, you know, the McCainers. Ooh, I would never be behind talking with the terrorist groups. Yeah, McCainers, whatever, pictures with John McCain and all these other slimy slime balls that pretend they're conservative, you know, are out there. We've seen them. They've funded, they've armed, they've dined, they wind with all of these proliferating and promoting the jihadi movement while their pockets got fatter with war money. Okay, so, you know, and then we saw Senator Graham, my favorite, right, who was like, oh, um, I have my finger in the pie of the DNC and the GOP. And it's like, oh, yeah, great decision by President Trump to cancel a meeting. And then on the other hand, I'll never support a deal where the U.S. gives in to Taliban's demands for the U.S. to completely withdraw uh, from Afghanistan. Al Qaeda and ISIS represent a threat to our homeland. And I do not trust the Taliban to deal with these threats. Well, hold on a second, man. Why are you making stuff up, Lindsay? The president wasn't talking about, you know, oh, peace talks. He was talking about let's get them stabilized. Then we can foresee pulling out. Because one thing people don't seem to understand is that this um, so-called vacuum, you know, uh, that the Obama administration liked to use and all his holdovers do is basically, uh, you know, when... We are paying these people, right? We're paying these people to fight, right? Mercenaries. We're, we're arming these rebels. We pay. We arm you. You fight for us. The minute we stop paying, they start to fight us so that we continue paying. Got it? That's the consequence that is called the vacuum. So we can be clear and no dilly-dallying, no frills and perfume and, and, and tutus on it. That's the way it is. All know that, all of us know that ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab, etc., they're all mercenaries. And this is why they're dangerous. Because even though many of them, uh, like Osama bin Laden, he just flipped the switch. He was trained to be a covert operative. He worked with our people and then he just got po'd he was like hold on a second man i don't agree with this we need to fix this i'm i'm flipping on them i'm gonna use what they taught me against them and he radicalized himself that's what happened and most of them do get radicalized they get enamored with the idea of you know oh allah and you know i'll die and i'm a martyr so osama is different the taliban again they were created they came to be as a strong political party by um you know 1989 1990 to create order in a chaotic environment of afghanistan after the fall of the ussr we need to understand this clearly and i have a congressional report where i'm going to read to you portions of it and you're going to be like what 
I didn't know that. Yeah, that's because they won't tell you. See, the the thing is, is that the media or PR agencies, you know, make sure that you remember what they want you to remember. You talk about what they want you to talk about. And they make sure you stay in line with their talks and their talking points. Okay, that's that's the thing. You need to remember that because they are nothing but, you know, PR agencies. The Taliban were and always have been a recognized political party in Afghanistan. The word Taliban in Pashto means students, the Taliban, okay? And they actually, you know, arose from the ruins of communism. They existed because they believed in equality. They believed in hard work and in capitalism, believe it or not. Um, But they were actually progressives and they turned radical. Why? Because suddenly if you're giving money and you're telling them, yeah, we believe in your cause, you should have equality, Allah, whatever. Not all of them are insane. Not all of them are so malleable, but the ones that you recruit are. The people that you want to be on the front line shooting like idiots are. The people that are sitting on the internet going like, oh, that's so awesome. I'd love to just go down to Syria and die riddled with bullets in the name of Allah. You know, people like that are what make the Taliban what we know them to be today as the media has portrayed them. Okay. Osama bin Laden used that weaponization of religion that we created. That isn't something new. It's been used in the past. We know this uh, because um, there's a difference between Muslim, M-O-S-L-E-M, which and Muslim and Muslims are the fanatics and Muslims are the ones that believe that Allah is important and they hate and they loathe anything Jewish. I mean, to the Christians, they're a little bit like snub, depending on what Christian faction you are. But Jews, they will annihilate them at any cost, um, no matter what. So this is where I'm going to leave us until the break, where we're going to dive into this congressional investigative report from 1999. So you can see just how much BS we've been spoon fed. See you all in a bit. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. 
plus it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's 1-800-961-9194, promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So before I continue with this, I just got a text from one of my listeners saying that, um, uh, there's uh, rumors going around that Bolton is out. <laughs> I hate to say I told you so. And my article was published early this morning. It'll be um, put back up uh, later on. Um, but I mentioned that because yesterday I had some really good talks with some really exciting sources that I have in Turkey and Syria that gave me the heads up on um, why the talks actually broke down and who indeed might be to blame. And <laughs> I've said this before. John's a problem. I've said it months, months, months ago. You know, and I've also told you that John Bolton is the only man that scares me. And not, and not a lot of things terrify me. You know, death with, you know, his huge, you can come at me with anything. Okay, I'll be scared, but nothing like bone chilling scared. Mustache Bolton, super bone chilling scared. Because you can't predict him. I can't read him. I can't understand him. And it, just a little smirk is terrifying. Just letting you know. So that's good news. If that's true and the rumors that were sent to me um, are substantiated, you know, I knew it was going to happen. Uh, yesterday I was told that he was to blame because he was the one that said, you know, hey, maybe you don't want to look weak. Maybe you want to like do something to show uh, the United States that you're not complying. But I'll tell you what, it really wasn't that. It was the whole, I'm going to tell you, even though that was inferred, here's where you heard it first. All has to do with our negotiations in Qatar. All of it. All of it. Now, let's go to this congressional investigative report from 1999. I'm going to read this now. Islamist forces have been fighting Russian control of the northern Caucasus periodically since the 18th century. You didn't know that, did you? An earlier Chechen war against Russia began in 1994, a full two years before the Taliban movement took over control in Kabul, September 1996. 
In the current round of fighting in Chechnya, any assistance provided to the rebels by bin Laden with an eye and that or the Taliban leadership could provide the rebels greater capabilities to fight Russia and in turn provoke more intense and indiscriminate tactics on the part of the Russian military. Afghan assistance could also contribute to the expansion of the war to other parts of Caucasus where Islamic extremists might join with others to take up arms against established governments, including Georgia, Azerbaijan, and elsewhere in the Russian Federation. This was a report where they talked about things that may indeed help, you know, reduce the power of Russia. Remember, when Russia, when the USSR fell... Russia struggled. So many nations spinned off. They lost a lot of land. They had a lot of debt. The whole world said, oh, USSR is broke. Russian Federation stays. Lithuania spins off. Georgia spins off. Yeah, but Russian Federation, you're going to pay the debt of Georgia. You're going to pay the debt of the Ukraine. You're going to pay the debt of Estonia, Chechnya, Belarus, Lithuania. You name it, you're paying for it. And they're like, but... But they're independent. Why not go to them? Why is too bad? And guess what? They actually did. They accomplished it. And this is today, 2019. They're the only nation that has absolutely zero debt. They have a surplus. I'm just pointing that out. And that's probably because it's the only nation on the planet that the West, that includes the United States, didn't offer infrastructure assistance. And I'm using air quotes. Now, a fun fact about misspellings, because I've been very uh, redundant. I feel sometimes that I'm redundant. You know, since I've, uh, I've been on Red State Talk Radio, I've been saying you have to pay attention to misspellings. Sometimes I will spell things wrong on purpose. President spells things wrong on purpose. And this is because the government does that all the time. The mainstream media skews everything. And they will only reference anything they believe you should remember. So it seems, you know, as the West enjoyed weaponizing these radical Islamic terrorists, formerly referred to as Muslims, you know, not the Muslims, as long as it suited them. Now, the reason for these misspelling guys are so that you can't find information. So if you were to search Osama bin Laden, you know, report or Congress or some document, it won't come up. If you do a FOIA request, Osama bin Laden, it won't come up. You'll have to do Osama bin Laden to come up. You get what I'm trying to say? This is how you bury one thing, one check. It's by the book, right? So, furthermore, the next section of this report is where the meaty stuff come in. Listen to this. The State Department's review of international terrorism for 1998 states that insurgents led by Chechen guerrilla commander of Jordanian origin who goes by the name of Qatab is receiving equipment and training assistance from Islamic guerrillas throughout the Middle East and South Asia. Qatab has links to Osama bin Laden, according to the report, which also asserts that Bill bin Laden's, uh, with an I, and Al-Qaeda, with an I, military-based organization, has sent trainers to Chechnya, presumably to terrorist training camps reportedly operated by Qatab. 
The Taliban regime issued a statement in November of 1999 that it is an obligation of the world's Muslims to support Chechnya. And by offering the Taliban's internal opponents a truce to jointly aid the Chechen rebels. Wait, so 1998, that was after the U.S. embassy bombings uh, in Kenya and Tanzania, right? So, okay, so the Taliban made the call for the Muslims, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood, in other words, to join together in these wars, these holy wars, these this Russian jihad, because in this document, it also mentions that they called it the Russian jihad um, after um, the bombings. And do you know why? It's because we caused that. And I'll tell you what. Here's what happened. In short, the Taliban were useful to the Western nations, um, in crippling Russia, okay, by offering their support. We're talking before the bombings of the embassies in Kenya and Tanzania. And you'll find out why this is very important. And this was because with them offering support for Russian jihad, right, um, it would minimize the land masses that they had territory over. Now, Osama was not someone that the U.S. didn't know, right? We know this. He was recruited early 80s by the CIA to weaponize the Islamic ideology and assist uh, in the Cold War with Russia, okay? That was his job. But he was asked to help overthrow a Somali regime, and that backfired because he was radicalized. And it was at that time after the Somali incident that Saudi Arabia cut him off and withdrew his citizenship even though he's a Saudi and he says it himself on ABC. I mean, (laughs) you can't, I mean, seriously, anyway, and here's the thing. It turns out that it seems like Osama bin Laden teamed up. And this is where it gets nuts with Ilhan Omar's real family. Osama, right? He was interviewed in 1999 after the U.S. Embassy bombings in Kenya and um, Tanzania by ABC. It was exclusive. Um, And it's been transcribed. In that interview, he actually clarified what happened in Somalia. He was very clear. And he inferred that it was at that point that he became an enemy and not an asset to the United States. I also want to point out, it was Ilhan Omar that said, in his selective memory, he forgets to also mention the thousands of Somalis killed by the American forces that day. Mm. Black Hawk Down. Osama's doing. So here's the question that ABC posed to Osama. The U.S. government says it is trying to stop the flow of funds to your organization. Has it been able to do so? And can it do so? Here's what Osama says, because in 98, they were calling him Osama after the bombings. The United States of America knows that I have attacked it by the grace of God for more than 10 years now. This is 1999. So he's talking 1989 and before that, which is Somalia. The Americans have pressured certain countries in the region, causing us some embarrassment and difficulties. These included freezing of assets and driving me out of some of these lands. The United States alleges that I am fully responsible for killing of its soldiers in Somalia. 
God knows that we have been pleased at the killing of the American soldiers in Somalia. Are you getting this? Mm-hmm. This was achieved by the grace of God and the efforts of Muhajidin from among the Somali brothers and other Arab Muhajidin who have been in Afghanistan before that. What? Okay. Hmm. So now we have a timeline. You see, we have everything we need to understand what's going on. So what happened? So in the late 80s, uh, we know that the Taliban went from a progressive to a deadly militia as the West intervened to help them find stability. Coincidentally, the Taliban controlled the majority of poppy fields, right? And the increase uh, in the cultivation of their poppy land occurred almost in tangent with the rise of opioid drug research and decrease of aid they were getting from us, the United States. Now, in the mid-90s, the U.S. actually had the opportunity Okay, we had the opportunity to curb under Clinton to curb the increased independent money flow and influence that the Taliban had. We had the opportunity because as they cooperated with bin Laden, you know, before the bombings, right? As they cooperated because he came over there, he established a base, but he wasn't living there, by the way, um, at the time, Um Bin Laden had actually further empowered them and drove them to recruit and expand their ideologies. And Pakistan was the missed opportunity we had. See, at that time, the U.S. was still providing arms and money to the Taliban in Afghanistan in hopes that they'll be pacified. But it didn't it didn't look like it was going to be good for Afghanistan as a whole because they, they bet their chips thinking, well, if we help the Taliban, then, you know, uh, Afghanistan will bellow out and they'll stabilize in the long, you know, in the next two decades. It wasn't helping because the newly formed Russian Federation, it actually backfired um, for the U.S. funding the Taliban and it actually garnered more regional support to the Taliban because of what they were doing to Russia, you know, about the whole Muslim, you know, attack thing. So at the time, at that specific time period, Pakistan had a new government structure and new leaders. And they could have like, we could have, you know, uh, approached them or anyone in the West could have approached them to pressure the Taliban to end, you know, these jihadi movements in, you know, in Asia. And kind of like the Russian jihadi movement, you know, that that we funded, not just us, but the UK did and another uh, and a bunch of other Western nations. But we didn't take that opportunity because, uh, you know, Kashmir was going on. And that's something that the United States didn't really want to get involved with because we were using the cheap labor from India at the time a lot. And we wouldn't and we didn't want to kill any like, you know, um, negotiations we had going then. So what happened is we just assumed, you know, hey, there's no point in talking to Pakistan because, you know, they'll side with the Taliban anyway and they're going to call them in and tap them, you know, to be their ally to fight against India for Kashmir. That's that was the thought process of the Clinton administration. Now, Pakistan's policies from back then um, are no different than what they are today, even though um out of all the nations, after the USSR drop and the Taliban rise, of all the nations in the region, I could tell you that Pakistan was the most 
um, affected by it uh, because of all these regimes, political parties, militias, and rebel factions were, you know, were being created. It actually made it look trendy. So with the majority of the poppy plant production under the Taliban control, right, money kind of flowed like water. They, they, it was growing on trees for the Taliban. And suddenly radicalized rebel factions started to like pop like crazy. And ideas of poor Pakistanis that were, you know, flanking the eastern side of the Taliban of, you know, joining these rebel factions and making tons of money was sexy to them. So they, it was like a no brainer. It was like, uh, either I stay here and I am like fighting with the sheiks and then we've got Kashmir and I got no job or I can hop over to Afghanistan and get paid tons of money to shoot people that don't believe in Allah. I'm game for that. And that's exactly how it happened. And so, uh, you know, the U S at that point when, um, you know, the Pakistanis were joining the Taliban forces and they were their foot soldiers. That's when we actually realized that the foothold we had on the Taliban and the tamed political, tamed-ish, right? Even though they were Islamists, they were tamed-ish, political party Taliban was done. We had lost that plot. It was done. It, even even when they refused to hand over bin Laden, um, you know, before the bombings in Kenya, because we've been after bin Laden since Somalia, just so you guys know. So it's not like, oh, we just want bin Laden now, you know, because of the towers that went down. No, it was like from the 80s. So let's get that straight. So what happens is um, as as we move forward, um, bin Laden kept reminding uh, you know, these mercenaries and these rebels whenever he would visit them and in his speeches that the West weaponized their religion and it's time to give them a taste of their own medicine because no uh, good Muslim would weaponize another person's religion against them. And it's like, um, yeah, you're right. You wouldn't weaponize it against them. You would just kill them because they don't agree. But OK, so to, again, to be clear. We didn't begin attacking Afghanistan in 9-11. In fact, like I said, we attacked them with 60, at least 60 missiles all at once on August 20th. That was 13 days after the U.S. embassy bombings in Kenya and Tanzania. Okay? And apparently we threw a couple missiles out. I, I think it was in um, Syria. No, Sudan, Sudan. It was Sudan because there was supposedly a chemical plant with nerve agent there, which was like, okay, that was really random because there's no, no intelligence documentation that documents that, but okay. Um, except for this report that says we bombed Sudan because nerve agent and you're just like, but Osama bin Laden didn't use nerve agent, but okay. Um, so all of these happened because the U.S. claimed that Osama bin Laden was in Afghanistan, and that's why they were hitting him. But during his ABC interview, he kind of made it clear that he wasn't there, and the U.S. knew he wasn't there because he was actually in Iran. So it's like, so the U.S. government knew he wasn't there, and so they started, they shot 60 missiles at Afghanistan, and said it was a t an Osama bin Laden camp uh, when it was a Taliban camp. And they knew that Osama wasn't there and that he was Iran. Are you getting this? He actually made that clear. And so here's what a journalist um, 
who I spoke to yesterday uh, said to me uh, in regards to the attack that the Taliban did right before the meetings um, where President Trump was going to mediate. I just want you to listen to this. The attack last week was unexpected. The locals tells us, tell us that it was advised by an American council that the Taliban have to showcase their strength to avoid being targeted by other countries that fund Afghanistan's infrastructure that consider negotiations under pressure weakness. They feared that they would lose the funding that those nations' foundations provide to the people of Afghanistan, which would include Taliban constituents. And guess who that American council was right it was a mustache man maybe we should ask him for a comment but according to whatever i read during the break from um my dms um he's out (laughs) i was right okay so let's um here's where i'm gonna give you a taliban connection to the swamp you've probably never heard this you have no idea that comey Mueller, right okay you're getting this Comey, Mueller, Ilhan Omar, okay? Ilhan Omar, I'm just pointing this out. Obama, Al-Qaeda, Osama, right? These are the private Taliban (laughs) that I'm telling you. They're all linked. You're going to be like, shut up, Tori. That's not possible. Yes, they are. In fact, um, during this ABC interview, and this is where I found it, and... um, dug in a little bit more he discussed two specific indictments against individuals who are carrying out well who one is carrying out a life sentence for the bombing that um never actually worked for him okay okay so there's this one guy who's like in jail right now life sentence i kid you not i kid you not that osama said i don't even know who this dude is he's in jail for lying to investigators. Wait, but the but the funny thing is, it's who put him in jail and how he put him in jail. And that's where the funds the fun begins. So in this interview, um it was clear by Osama, he's like, "Listen, man, I I didn't bomb these embassies, but I am sending out a message of retaliation." Now, we all know that terrorist groups love to get credit for what they do. And the Liberation Army for Holy Sites, which was an Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood organization, actually took credit for these bombings. But they said Osama did them anyway, which is like you just wanted Osama, period, because you've been hurt that he flipped on you in Somalia. And I get it. I would be the same way. But nevertheless, charges against this guy named Wadi al-Hajj, a.k.a. Abdul Sabur, were filed. And guess who his prosecutor, which U.S. attorney of the Southern District of New York was filing this? Patrick Fitzgerald. (laughs) Do you know who Patrick Fitzgerald is? Patrick Fitzgerald was at a U.S. attorney at the Southern District of New York. He's the same guy who brought up the phony charges on Scooter Libby as special counsel. We've talked about that in depth and that collusion with Mueller and Comey, you know, and how they strong-armed uh, Bush doing that. So not only that, he was also the lawyer for James Comey. If you remember, after James Comey was fired, he came from Skadden to represent James Comey. Are you, are you paying attention? In May 2017. So this guy, Patrick Fitzgerald, got Wadi Al-Hajj life in prison. Forget this. Three counts of false statements. I kid you not. Life in prison. 
And they couldn't even prove that they were false. So he went to jail because he lied, but they had no proof he lied except for somebody else's lie or hearsay. So, you know, and Obama, (laughs) Obama, I keep calling him Obama. Osama said, you know, he didn't even know who he was. And um, if you want to look him up, his um, federal registry number is 42393-054. And he's in Florence, Um, Max prison. His release date is life. <laughs> so when he expires in life, he, he gets released. So then we had this other case. Okay. This is a curious one. His name was Harun Fazil, AKA Abdul Wakil Al Mazri. And I just want you guys to know that jihadis have jihadi names like war names. So his name was Harun Fazil, but his war names were Abdul Wakil Al Masri or Abu Jihad Al Nubi. He was, um, his westernized name was Harun Fazil uh, for the U.S. intelligent asset because he was a U.S. intelligence asset. I'm, I'm stating this. He was an asset that was Kenyan and Egyptian. He was actually recruited, listen to this, in Kenya around 1992, where Harun at that time was working as a youth confidential source for the U.S. Embassy, providing uh, information about the Liberation Army for Holy Sites training at the Muslim Youth Center in Nairobi. Wait, what? So he was a young little snitch, you know, confidential informant for the U.S. Embassy. He was um, trained by us in explosive and provided um, a lot of, you know, tactical skills by us at um, U.S. facilities. He was, um, his primary objective was to follow, find, monitor, and eventually apprehend Osama bin Laden. But he, too, defective. He defected. Now, I just want you guys to know that the SDNY, Southern District of New York, U.S. attorney on that case was Michael J. Garcia. And Haroon was never arrested. He was also on the FBI most wanted list up until 2004, where he was removed with no reason. Like there was no report of apprehension or death. He was just deleted off the base, the database. Now you're going to say, well, that's interesting. Well, Michael Garcia is now a judge at the Southern District of New York Appellate Court. And he was the guy that was allegedly being courted to be what? FBI director for the position James Comey got fired. Yeah. So here we go again. We're there together. And you're going to be like, all right. So it just so happens that everything went through there and all of them are friends well right after the break i'll tie this up and tell you what the real connection is <laughs> between these lawyers the judges muller and comey it's pretty exciting Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says. For the next hour, I'll be your host, Tori.
we'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. So, yeah, it's confirmed John Bolton is gone, which means that my sources in Syria, Iran, and Turkey, <laughs> my Al-Qaeda sources are solid, solid. Um, so I already published that uh, article where I kind of hinted it uh, earlier this morning, um, which pretty much, you know, in, in Tory talk is, oh, you know, uh, well, let, let, me, let me pull it up and see what it says. It says... Taliban and Pashto means students, and it looks like uh, youth education is key in their motivation. Hijra, hashtag Hijra, who sabotaged the mediation we were conducting between President Ghani and the Taliban? Let's let's ask John Bolton if he stays here long enough to tell us. (laughs) That was the final sentence of my article. All right, so back to the Comey, Swamp Crew, Mueller, Comey, all of them. So Michael J. Garcia used to be a U.S. attorney. He actually um, joined the Southern District of New York after Comey, supposedly. It's just, or graduated the same college you know I really don't care the bottom line is this guy was on the FIFA investigation he's worked with Mueller he's worked with Comey uh, he's tight with Lynch I got a photo in my uh, in my article where Comey and Garcia are together now basically this is the guy that President Trump was uh, being told to bring on he was like I don't know man I don't know if I want to bring a judge that doesn't like me that's really good friends and close buddies with Comey I don't think so and you know he was a little bit salty that he didn't get on now you know look at new york going after the trump businesses i mean you would think that was retaliation but whatever so he just so happened to also be the prosecutor in against in the case against haroon just like fitzgerald was prosecutor for the man locked up for lying but here's where the real kicker comes in i am going to read to you a small excerpt of the indictment okay So in this statement, co-conspirator one identified Haroon from a video presented to him from May 1996. Okay, this is where they're being interviewed about the bombings, right, in 99 of the U.S. embassies, right, in Kenya and in Tanzania. Now, this is identifying Haroon through a video... From 1996, both Fitzgerald, okay, who locked this dude up for lying, and um, Garcia, now Judge Garcia, right, all buddies of Comey's, both identified, and listen to this, on August 1st, 1998, co-conspirator one joined an individual he knew as Harun in Nairobi, Kenya. Co-conspirator one identified Harun from a video footage that was taken in or about May 1996, here and after video. Well, according to my sources, that video is part of a bigger video, which has video footage of older videos, and it turns out that this guy that wasn't talking, just so you know, Just so you know, the guy that wasn't talking was a guy that knew who the guy on the video in 96 and the video from before that was. Guess who was on that video with Haroon? None other 
according to my sources, which seemed to be stellar, as James Comey. Prominent law enforcement and clandestine community members, along with James Comey, are visible. And this meeting is, um, this video is from a meeting with various informants, um, and he could identify him. So maybe this is why they locked him up, because they knew that the guy that's sitting in as FBI, that would be acting attorney general in the future, because that was the plan, that's what happened, uh, would be identified by a terrorist in Guantanamo saying, yo, that guy was working with the terrorists that supposedly bombed the embassies. You know, you wouldn't want that. Now, Haroon himself, even though he was removed from the watch list, right, the FBI most wanted in 2004 with no questions, no, hey, he was apprehended. No, he was dead. I have some documents. Um, some of them have been leaked to the public before where I published a portion of it where someone that is being detained right now in Guantanamo said that he was actually killed in 2011 in Afghanistan. But we don't know that. That's just some guy telling them what they want to know. You know, because when you're in jail, especially if you're in Guantanamo and you're faced with Guantanamo, you'll say whatever you want just to make sure you don't stay there forever. So, you know, look at the guy that supposedly lied because he didn't tell him what they wanted. He's in jail forever for lying. So anyway, not doing anything, just lying without any proof that he's lying, but it's just them. I'm just pointing stuff out. And the only crime that this guy's committed is that he can call out Comey and identify him as a clandestine asset. But anyway, over the weekend, it was revealed Right. That Robert Mueller was friends with a lot of players, lots of these players, including and not limited. Right. As we can see now, Comey, Fitzgerald, Garcia, all of them. Now, here's what you need to know about 9-11. 9-11 happened and three weeks later. Mueller closed the investigation. He like literally closed it and started the ball to roll so we can have an official declaration of war, even though we were already there fighting. Okay. Um, not only that, he allegedly covered up for Saudi Arabia and their contributions to the 9-11 tragedy. And that's what the New York Post said. Specifically, um, one expert said in October of 2001, Mueller shut down the government's investigation only after three weeks and then took part in the Bush administration's campaign to block, obfuscate and generally stop anything about Saudi Arabia from being released. Now, our sources tell us that the cover up was for Iran and Qatar, to be honest. And that would make sense because, you know, obviously Osama bin Laden already said that Saudi Arabia had disowned him and they had stolen his, you know, frozen his assets from the 90s. But here's where it gets like really, really cool. In 2018, as president, right, um, President Ghani said, you know, that he wanted to provide the Taliban an official political office in Afghanistan. Now, it says that Al Qaeda meeting, uh, an, uh, an Al Qaeda meeting with recruiters occurred. Now, according to the sources, there were two meetings, one in Qatar in late 2018 and one meeting that happened in Turkey just a couple months ago. Apparently, it happened right after President Trump snubbed Erdogan and not went and didn't go to Turkey in July. So this meeting was actually held to discuss how to thwart 
any mediation the U.S. did for Afghanistan. They wanted to discuss alternative avenues, like address the Taliban Afghanistan concerns, and um, try to figure out ways to stop any peace talks between the Afghani people and the Taliban. Um, because if such, you know, if such mediation could come to the more moderate Muslim community, will weaken altogether the Al Qaeda support network, right? So they were like, oh no, if they actually find common ground and they could just be Muslims on their own in the corner there doing their thing and nobody's bothering them, then people will be like, oh, uh, maybe we don't need to be killing people. That's just dumb. So they didn't want that to happen. Now, my source that told me about Bolton too said, he was telling me a lot of things, one of them, and one thing stood out from the list of memorable statements you know, that he was telling me. During the discussion, one of the leading youth recruiters who is based in Syria disclosed that his sibling is successfully embedded in the U.S. government and was born before he was. He then bragged about how his sibling is successfully accomplishing hijrah. Hijrah is like the jihad, but not like to kill people, to infiltrate governments and overthrow them and make them Muslim governments. That's basically what it is. It's the cornerstone of proper jihad against the West. Now, our source told me that the fighting names were the only things that they were provided for this event that he catered in Turkey. And the man, you know, that was saying that he had a relative, um, a sibling specific sibling is the word he used, um, embedded in the U.S. government. He went by the name of Abdul Wakil al-Somali. Now, according to our source, he also told me that he's about 25, 26. He's fair skinned. He's not like a dark skinned guy for Somalis because they're usually very dark skinned. And um, but he's not white. And that the young man, you know, he spoke impeccable English, like with an American accent. And he was like all about courting women, specifically the tourists by the ocean shore. So now I also know that this meeting was held on the shores of Turkey. So I'm assuming it was the western shores of Turkey. Assuming. So here's the thing. While he was chatting with the women and this guy, he was drinking a bit, you know, as a young guy. And he was a little bit, you know, and he said his name was either Hamad or Hanad. Abdullahi, Mohalim or Moshalim, something like that. So I started doing some homework. I was like, okay, Abdullahi, Ilhan Abdullahi Omar is her name. Abdullahi, oh my gosh. Could she have a sibling that's younger than her out there? That's Somali that's fighting with Al-Qaeda. Oh, my gosh. So I'm like looking and looking and looking and looking. And as I discovered, Mohalim, and his name was Hanad Abdullahi Mohalim, is from Minnesota. And he was among several young recruits that came from the Somali-American community in Minneapolis. And he applied to ISIS and gave his fighting name as Abwalid al-Somali, which is probably the wrong name, or maybe he took, or maybe he took, changed his name to Abdul Wakil uh, al-Somali because, uh, you know, the reports by Gateway Pundit says that it was Abdul Walid al-Somali and identified himself as a student and he said he was a bachelor. He said he entered Syria at Tel Ayabad in March of 2014 when he was 18, which puts his age around the right time. Now, according to the Gateway Pundit, American law enforcement say that Mohalim recruited other fellow Somali Americans in, in Minnesota including some that were arrested a year ago for plotting to travel to Syria. Guys, I have his picture in my article. He looks just, 
I mean, I'm not saying that he's, but I, in one of the captions, I said, Ilhan Abdullahi Mohalim's brother. And I'm not saying they're siblings, but they darn look alike. Now, thwarting discussions with the USA was the primary topic of these discussions with these recruiters, right? They recruit youth and they push the Al-Qaeda message, but they also try to find ways to thwart the discussions. And this, um, and this was done after successful, you know, Al-Qaeda-backed attack that happened um, that has been charged to the Taliban in Afghanistan that occurred a couple of days ago, right? And this is what prompted the U.S. Um, to cancel peace mediation. Now, that's one aspect that Bolton stuck his fingers in there. But the other aspect was that he was concealing the real reason that um, Qatar uh, was the choice of headquarters. Now, I've told you that Bolton is a guy who likes order and I've also told you that he has no problem taking a meat cleaver and just hacking things as long as he gets the job done. He's done a lot of hacking of things in this domain. Now, throughout my whole investigation, you know, the most confusing question to me was, why did the Taliban refuse to have a political office headquartered in Afghanistan? Now, that answer has been questions. Um, it, it's been it's, it, that 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 answer has been questioned. I mean, that question has been answered um, because, you know, Think about it. Why would the why would an Afghanistani, uh, Afghani, whatever um, political party that represents Afghanis have a home base in Qatar, thousands and thousands of miles away? So here's the thing: they demanded that they would be provided an office in Doha, Qatar, and our U.S. envoy Zalmay Khalizad, which Bolton, you made a mistake. You just assumed. Um, was dealing with that. Now, could the attack have been done to deter the discussions? Of course. Uh, negotiating under pressure with sanctions, demands, and nothing but embarrassment in return is not the Brotherhood way, as my source said. And so many longstanding Muslim Brotherhood and Taliban members say that. So the question in itself right, is we've encountered this kind of rhetoric before by Erdogan, by the former Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood leaders, you know, that we don't negotiate under pressure. You either relieve the pressure and then we can talk or not. Hmm. But here's the thing. The negotiations were happening. We had our envoy there. Bolton, American Council, suggested that they show a force of strength and um, apparently um, it looks like the wrong person spoke with the wrong person on sabotaging these talks in Qatar. So, you know, Bolton only knows that. And that's probably why uh, we got his resignation letter in hand. So it's really interesting uh, how it's going to pan out. I found out the answer and it's all about money. But, um, you know, it's um, it's it's. It's pretty incredible. I mean, it all starts with education. Don't we say that the left is trying to radicalize and change the thoughts of our youth, right, with rubbish? Well, that's what they do for the Taliban, too. I mean, how do you radicalize people? You don't take them from where they are. You build them up to that, right? And the most malleable minds of those of youth. Now, um, you know, and that goes with, you know, the territory, uh, fake news, fake polls, fake everything, fake er fake relations. Oh my gosh, just all around fake. I just wanted to point out before we head in, uh, you know, fall in headfirst um, to Brexit to finish off the whole hour. Um, PolitiFact literally put out 
a tweet saying that Trump at the Virginia rally said that Virginia governor um, at, at the at the North Carolina rally said that the Virginia governor Ralph Norham talked about after the baby was born, the doctor will talk to the mother and we make a decision about whether the baby lives. And they said that they rated his similar claim about abortion false. Now, up until I published that article, which is titled um, PolitiFact is really PolitiFraud, um, I could tell you they still haven't taken it down and they haven't, um, you know, walked back what they said. Now, what's incredible is, is that people don't seem to realize those are the exact words he said, and I want you to hear them quickly. There was a very contentious committee hearing yesterday when Fairfax County Delegate Kathy Tran made her case for lifting restrictions on third trimester abortions, as well as other restrictions now in place. And she was pressed by a Republican delegate about whether her bill would permit an abortion, even as a woman is essentially dilating, ready to give birth. And she answered that it would permit an abortion at that stage of labor. Do you support her measure and, and explain her answer. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I wasn't there, uh, Julie, and I, I certainly can't speak for uh, Delegate Tran, but um, I would tell you one uh, first thing I would say is this is why decisions such as this should be made by providers, uh, physicians, uh, and uh, the uh, mothers uh, and fathers that, that are involved. Um, there are, you know, when we talk about third trimester uh, abortions, these are done. Uh, with the consent uh, of obviously the, the mother, with the consent uh, of the physicians, more than one physician, by the way. Um, and it's done in cases where there may be severe deformities, there may be a, a, a fetus that's non-viable. So in this particular example, uh, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. So, Didn't he say that? So it kind of sounds like he said exactly that. So this is what fake news does. Okay, fake news tells you what you need to know and what they want you to believe. They've been doing this since the beginning of time. (laughs) Since the beginning of time, they've been doing this. They've been telling us how to think, walk, talk and everything. I mean, yesterday we had the news telling us that aborting babies in Africa is okay because black people shouldn't be having babies. Eating human meat is great. To save our species. So now they're promoting cannibalism. I think that was Hillary Clinton's doing. And then Bill Gates. Oh, he was chit-chatting and exchanging money with Epstein. No big deal, right? He does that with pedos all the time. What? Why are you sweating it? And then it's like, oh, it's not suicide. It's death by, you know... <laughs> by what is it called? Misadventures. So if you attempt suicide and you didn't really want to kill yourself. You just wanted attention. So that's why you, I don't know, hypothetically jumped out of a plane without a parachute. It was just because you wanted attention. So if you died, it wasn't really suicide. Uh, It was unintentional. So, you know, in fact, the Democrats have been using um, fake news for a very long time. We've seen it. We're now recognizing it. We are awake at the moment. I mean, it isn't surprising that PolitiFact, you know, would um, lie flat out like this. I mean, we saw them during the 2016 
between political debates. They were flagging Trump left and right, like liar, liar, liar. And then Hillary Clinton, I didn't send emails. Oh, kind of true. And then it's like false. And then it was like, nope, mostly true. And it's like, no, man, she sent classified emails, period. I don't care if they changed them later to be unclassified at the time she sent them. And when she was sharing them, they were secret, top secret and classified, period. But they don't care about that. They just care about what they make you believe. I mean, it's not even surprising. I mean, we have the Oregon woman who's too fat to realize that she was pregnant, seven months pregnant. That's how, that's how far along in gestation I was when my eldest was born. And she's now being hailed a hero by them, right? Because it made more sense to her to spend 10 and a half grand and flights to go to, you know, New Mexico and get this baby torn apart into pieces, viciously murdered, right? And put to death because it was inconvenient for her new job, her new minimum wage paying job. Are we kidding? She could have just stuck it out, taken responsibility for opening her legs and giving that baby to people that can't have babies. So, you know, PolitiFact hasn't even retracted past statements where they were like, oh, no, Mercury's not in vaccines. Um, yeah, it kind of is. And they wouldn't change it. They publish intentional misleading information. So what is really important right now, guys, is going forward, what we see about Brexit, what we see about our elections, what we see about going on, John Bolton saying, oh, I, I resigned. Yeah, you resigned. Because you got caught. You got caught. What were you going to say? Oh, oh, oh. No, you got caught. And it was about time someone put you in your place and you couldn't weasel your mustache way out of it. That's the way it is. That is exactly the way it is. Guys, we need to be keen. We need to hold their feet to the fire every single time they put something out there. The Democrat, you don't even hear about the Democrat candidates. I don't see anything about them. All they do is 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 they're insanely obsessed with Trump. They don't want to talk about Joe Biden's dementia. They're they're hunting to find who they're going to put out there to run for president that uh, you know against President Trump because none of the people that are on that stage right now have a fighting chance even in the most remote way. Okay? No way. They they would never, ever, ever succeed. Now, having said that, uh, a lot of people are like, you know, oh, you know what, uh, you know what President Trump said about the Taliban. Take a listen carefully what he says and, and understand. And I'm going to play this little clip and understand just how important his statement was so you can understand where Bolton stood. Take a listen. Had a meeting scheduled. It was my idea, and it was my idea to terminate it. I didn't even, I didn't discuss it with anybody else. When I heard, very simply, that they killed one of our soldiers and 12 other innocent people, I said, there's no way I'm meeting on that basis. There's no way I'm meeting. They did a mistake. And by the way... And by the way, the Taliban know that they made a mistake. They're saying they made a mistake. They made a mistake. They know it. And he said they're dead. We're done. We're done. We're done. We're not talking. I don't care if you made a mistake. Do you know why he said we're done? Do you know why he said they're dead to me? Because, you know, it's kind of like channeling Kevin O'Leary from, from, from Shark Tank. You're dead to me. Um, it's because he realized it was his own people that were sabotaging these things and feeding into it. He was done. He was, he was tired of it. Now. What I'm going to tell you in the next half hour is going to blow your mind.
because I don't think people understand what happened yesterday with the queen, what the ascent was. And someone sent me a DM asking me about the black rod. So I'll just end this um, half hour of, of my last hour with that. The black rod is literally that, uh, a black rod. He's like the messenger that goes, um, you know, to the House of Commons and explains the will of uh, the queen. Now, when he arrives, the first thing they do is slam the door in his face. And that's totally tradition, just so you know. It's like demonstrating how the people are supposedly free and they are able to, like, refuse what the queen says. And the the Black Rod is uh, Lieutenant General, I think is Leaky is his name. And, um, you know, that's showing that the House of Commons, where you see all the parliamentary, the PMs, the prime minister and the MPs and the ministers of parliament talk. And supposedly um, the black rod is literally the messenger, the sovereign messenger, the messenger of the queen that comes to deliver a message to the House of Commons officially. And it's like a, a ritual because that's what happens. You know, he announces and even though they're independent and politically independent, supposedly of the queen, the door is slammed in his face um, and then they open it and let him in to say we don't have to listen but we will allow you to which is i'm going to tell you right now bs because the queen flexed her royal muscles yesterday and it's not a surprise because so many people were like oh the queen is so impartial we're like so independent nope you're not because the queen is looking after her business the crown and right now they messed up do you know why they messed up because they aggregated a lot of things in a territory that is holding this brexit hostage so the brexit could happen any day as long as the united kingdom forfeits a portion of their land to the eu Ah, what? No, isn't Brexit like removing? Yeah, but they'll technically own that portion of the United Kingdom, but they will also not own it because it'll be ruled under European commerce. And it is key. And the queen backs that a 100% because she wants a piece of it. She's like, I'm not letting them take it. And you are not going to keep it from them. This is our backup plan. And you're going to be like, what backup plan? Oh, you're in for a real ride in this last half hour because Brexit is about to make so much sense to you. And you're going to see why Boris is so pissed. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America.
Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's one 800 961 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam sounds great right even better your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease if you're a u.s citizen between 50 and 80 you can get life insurance guaranteed It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. Um, so let's start on this Brexit. So what happened? It's pretty interesting um, how this all panned out, okay? Very interesting. Um, as you know, Brexit has to happen by October 31st, 2019. And in essence, Brexit must have a deal. And the only thing that you keep hearing is that there's an Irish stop back. Now, I tell you that every single outlet, every single one you will see reporting on this will tell you that it's because the European Union wants to make sure that the border between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland is monitored correctly, that goods that are not EU approved are entering into the EU and so on. But here's the deal. They're claiming that the Irish are like, well, we don't want like borders and fences because it's like we're triggered because we've had borders and fences so long. And and then they're like, oh, but if we put borders and fences, then we're going to get all these radicals that hate the United Kingdom in Ireland. And there's going to be like more war in the IRA. And it's all BS, guys. It's all BS. They are literally pandering on the fact that people have no idea whatsoever about what this is. Okay. So I want you to listen to what the explanation Euronews gave to the people on July 26, 2019. And it's titled Brexit. What is the Irish stock back and why does Boris Johnson want it ditched? Take a listen. Welcome to Northern Ireland, the part of Ireland that is under British rule and has a controversial border with the Republic in the south. I'm standing here on the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. This white line is in the United Kingdom. This yellow line is in the Republic of Ireland. 
The United Kingdom proposes to leave the European Union on the 1st of November. If it leaves without a deal, the question is, what's going to happen in the space between the yellow line and the white line? The Irish. Okay, let me just explain to you this yellow line and white line. Imagine you're on the road and you're driving. You know how you separate, um, you know, the lane going southbound with northbound with these lines, right? These lines, and they're usually white, right? That separate the two northbound, southbound lanes. Well, one of these um, lines is white and the other one is yellow, indicating that you've just crossed the border, basically. That's, that's all it is. The British government and the European Union are in favor of a thing called the backstop. The British government is opposed to it. The backstop is a proposal that will continue to see the free movement of goods, services and people between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. For farmers like Damien McGinnity, who crosses the border between North and South every other hour, the backstop is the only proposal that will help his industry remain prosperous. The majority of people in Northern Ireland support the backstop. The group that I belong to, we lobbied intensively for the backstop. We were in Brussels and met Barnier's team, we met Verhofstadt's team, the steering group. We've had lots of contact with the Commission and with the Irish government. It's the deal that we need. More than 45 million vehicles crossed the Irish border in both directions last year, and for haulage operators like Chris Slowey in the border county of Armagh, keeping the EU-UK frontier in Ireland open after Brexit is vital for the survival of his business. For Northern Ireland PLC, we are a business. In this environment, we're trading of a small country with the mainland Europe and also GB. We need the backstop to leave us efficient in what we do, and give us a flexibility of movement with the products that we transport to keep our industries moving. Okay, now this is why it's BS, okay? Just so you guys understand, okay? I want you guys to understand what's going on. So Boris Johnson actually went to Berlin, okay? He went to Berlin at the end of August to try to discuss with Merkel to discuss these negotiations and said that the backstop for the Irish border really needs to be scrapped, but they will not have it. Okay. And, um, they, the backstop is an insurance policy. They say to avoid a hard border between Northern and Southern Ireland. Now everyone will tell you it's about trade. It's about people. It's about all this stuff. I'm going to tell you how BS it is. So, Northern Ireland, which is not really the whole north of Ireland, it's literally one quarter of Ireland, and it's like the northeast corner portion, just so you know. It has 300 miles of border, per se. What the EU want is to have, um, to allow um, Northern Ireland to remain as part of the EU, but they want all of Ireland, including Northern Ireland, to remain in the U.S. Customs Union. And, you know, Boris Johnson uh, said that would be a violation of British sovereignty, which is true. So what he, what they're saying is, all right, yeah, okay, um, well, you know, if you want to get out, then you need to give us Northern Ireland. We have to have control of all their economic trade, all their businesses, all their financials, everything, and then you can leave. But technically, you can still own the land. And Boris is like, that doesn't work. We can't own Northern Ireland as part of the United Kingdom, but 
They trade in euro, they move in euro, and they abide by your laws, not ours. It makes absolutely no sense, right? So the reason, so what everybody needs to think is, why are they so hard up on a little tiny portion of Ireland? Like, what's the big deal? So here's the thing. Belfast is the northern, you know, um, Irish capital. And lots of people go there. Lots of things happen. You know, Dublin, Belfast, everything. What people don't seem to understand is that the biggest business, okay, it's not ag, it's not Guinness beer. The, oh, this is going to blow your mind because when I found out, I was just like, oh, now it totally makes sense. Stop right there and let me go back to 2017. In 2017, the Queen of England opened up Parliament, right? It was like in June of 2017. And I remember she wore this blue hat with golden stars or dots on it that resembled the EU flag. Now, one thing you need to know about the way politics work in England is that everybody knows that they're not free, but they kind of don't talk about it because they pretend they are because they have a parliament, right? So the queen opens up parliament. She's wearing this outfit and everyone's like, oh my gosh, the queen's a remainer. She wants to stay within the, you know, within the EU. And she was opening up parliament and said, we need to get eight, you know, bills done. So that way we can, you know, get Brexit going, right? We need these eight bills. And that was her announcement. So come 2018, she turns around and passes a law that says that all British law will be changed to incorporate EU law or mimic it and embody it before they move forward. So she wants all their laws implemented in order to allow for trade and to have the same standards and whatnot, blah, 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 blah. Basically, that the e, that the United Kingdom on a parliament or a free people's level is really the EU, but in the end, she can pull the plug whenever she wants because she's the queen, right? So that's basically what she was saying. So now in um, 2019, she made a few comments and um, people interpreted it as her wanting to remain, except for one, the sun, the sun actually published on, whoa, the queen, big supporter of Brexit. And everybody else was like, she's a remainer, you know, big, the queen of England wants to remain, you know, but then the sun who said she wants to, you know, Brexit or whatever, the only one, their watchdog called them out and made them retract. And then, you know, you would think, well, okay, well, everybody else said remain. And if you're upset that they misled the public by saying, oh, aren't you upset that everybody else is saying that the queen is remain? Um, do you know what I'm saying? Are you getting it? So queen says, the, uh, you know, let's say 20 publications say the queen wants to remain in Europe. And then one says the queen wants to Brexit. And then watchdogs like you're misleading the population. So are you saying for a fact then that the queen wants to remain because she's really not allowed to involve herself in politics. That's like the unwritten law. Well, it is kind of like the law that you don't intervene. Right. Unless absolutely necessary or if he wants you to, you know, royal assent to, you know, pass a law or whatever. So um, what happened is all this controversy. I knew the queen was for rain because of money. And you're going to be like, of course, I mean, this queen, it's a business. The crown's a business. And so my first thought was maybe if the UK pulls out of the EU, trade will shift for their other you know, businesses within the crown, maybe with Canada, maybe with Australia, maybe other territories that Britain, Britain has. And then 
it kind of kept going. And then I spoke with a few people and I found out that our social media companies, okay, check this out, have a backup plan for um, issues in regards to publishing and independence. And that backup plan is using their EMEA headquarters. Did you know, listen to this, that the majority, well, no, not the majority, all of these huge tech companies like Google, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Etsy, Amazon, Zalando, Groupon, PayPal, Airbnb, Uber, um, even Stape, um, um, Siemens, HP, Intel, Dell, Microsoft, Symantec, um, EA, Riot Games, Zynga, all these, right? And, and big cloud service providers, Adobe, Dropbox, Salesforce, SAP. I'm just naming a few of these. These are all included. They all have headquarters in Northern Ireland. Oh my gosh. So wait a minute. And guess what? They run under EU law and they've got easy ways of accessing employees and, um, you know, based on the laws of the EU, how they trade or how they operate, which is a lot more favorable to a socialist government there. The backup plan was to leave the United States of America uh, in the case that uh, President Trump uh, forces them uh, to be sanctioned or to be um, pushed in certain directions. Now, here's the problem. If the UK were to leave and there was no backstop, then that would mean that all these tech companies would have to fall under United Kingdom rules, not European Union. And that would mean that if the United States and the United Kingdom suddenly had great trade deals, they would kind of mimic each other. And so the European Union, I mean, the Socialist Union, doesn't want to give up on these tech companies, and this is why they are demanding to take them. Now, one would say, well, they could just all pick up and leave. Yeah, but then it would be obvious. So that's the thing. They've invested a lot of money to create these campuses there. And a majority of the people that work and operate there are actually foreign persons from nations not within the European Union, mostly India and the Philippines, uh, which are cheaper labor that they hire to execute. So and next time you guys call PayPal or whatever, you'll see that you're speaking to people in Ireland. This is the tech hub. Apple um, actually is the only one that has an office in Cork, um, Ireland in the South. So I since the 80s, I, I, I didn't even know that okay that they had established an apple campus in ireland so this is pretty incredible you guys it's not about anything else except for them they want ireland the european union is like oh you want to break free of this agreement sure give us all of ireland but we're not going to give you our land well you either give us our land or whatever and you would think that the queen out of all people would be like, yeah, you're not taking my property, right? She would support Boris Johnson saying, you got to scrap this. And if you don't scrap it, there's no deal, man. We just do what we want. End of story. A no deal Brexit is like getting a divorce and having no settlement. That's the time where the crazy wife will throw your stuff out the window or you will slash the tires of your ex-wife. And it's just a hot mess and you guys are going back and forth bickering. Someone might say war. 
highly doubt it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not happening. The European army is probably less in strength than the army I have on my profile at Call of Duty with my buddies when I play, okay? So that's not going to happen. So that's the bottom line here. You have to now sit and think, well, then why would the queen have a royalist send yesterday to say, hey, on October 31st, if there's no deal, you can't leave Brexit without a deal. Why? What does she gain by forcing her subjects to pay almost a billion pounds additional if they extend the date which they can't extend the date because it's actually illegal according to european laws and you know article five so they can't extend the date so they need brexit and one would think well this is a catch-22 i mean boris could have just went to the queen and she would have had to accept it as prime minister to say uh i recommend that you don't sign this royal send and you don't push this on instead he didn't say anything so i'm wondering could it because it's illegal to extend it to January, like, you know, Kami Corbin is saying um, that he wanted the queen to do this, to force them to come up with a deal? Like, what is it? And I mean, if he does come up with a deal, we're seeing that Germany is not sticking back. They want all of Ireland. They want to own Ireland. And these Irish people are too dumb to realize that the reason that this is happening is because of, and get this, there was a meeting right after Tamisa, t- Tamisa, <laughs> Teresa May's announcement of being fired uh, came out. And all the big tech giants met in Belgium. And at Brussels, they all discussed their concerns about Brexit and what that would mean for their business uh, establishments for European and the Middle East operations, EMEA, in Ireland. And how the agreements that they have with the European Union right now in regards to privacy laws, sharing information, you know, and all these um, fact-checking, fake news-checking, you know, and all the other stuff, sharing people's text messages, police stuff, that'll all stop. Because if this happens and there's and and the European Union doesn't own, uh, you know, uh, Ireland, then those companies cannot have solid agreements because they don't operate under the rule of those agreements. So it's kind of like you know how Twitter is an American company, right? So um, many many times Pakistan will send request saying under Pakistani law, you got to give me this. And, you know, you got to tell me that and you got to do this. And it's like, yeah, we don't have a headquarters in Pakistan. So we don't have to give you names, addresses of people you want to, you know, put through to court and issue bench warrants because they share a cartoon of Muhammad. That doesn't happen because we're under U.S. law. Kind of like Twitter in Europe is under European law. In Ireland is under European law. Now, here's a spiel. Now, if those subpoenas were sent to the European Union, obviously European Union does not have any laws condemning people of sharing cartoons of Muhammad. So, again, they would be rejected, saying that this your laws do not apply through this, you know, branch of headquarters because they're literally two different companies, just but they are the same. And so... The discussion that they ensued in Brussels is, is that they would be willing to move all their operations and centralize them in Europe to beef up the economy 
if they were able to maintain their position in the EU. Now, this was all done under cloak and dagger. So here we have big tech flexing their muscle to the socialist governments of the European Union. And they're like, listen, you want to spy on these people? Listen, you want profiles on these people? Listen, you want to control them? You want to chip them? You want to make them use phones for everything in electronics? Drop the cash so you could delete them with the click of a button? Then you better help us. We're comfortable where we are. It's easier there. We're not going to move because then the Americans are going to know. And then when they figure out, hey, why'd you move like down the road? You know, or why did you move to Germany? Or why did you move there? They're going to get it that we wanted to shift anyway. So this is the way we keep it incognito. So this has to happen. Guys, the bottom line is this Brexit is a big deal. It is a very, very big deal because we have our information in their hands too. And the subsidiary that will be housing only U.S. information will be completely different, but we will not have the same access to things unless we abide by European Union laws. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like, okay, let me, uh, I'm going to try to make it a little bit easier. So in England, they don't have big cars, like big trucks, like Dodge or whatever, anything, whatever, you know, big cars, because they don't meet the requirements or they don't meet the standards that, uh, the roads in England would demand. Okay. So you can't buy or operate that car there. You could buy it and you can have it, but you won't be able to drive it easily and get benefits of that truck because you probably won't fit around the roads in Leicester Square that barely fit a smart car, you know, let alone a double tired Dodge Ram 5,000 cylinder truck. So, That Dodge is only for the U.S. roads. Even though you can have it in England, you really can't use it. So it's kind of like WeChat. Okay. I signed up for WeChat like I uh, was tweeting out because I'm going to be going to China next summer. So for a couple weeks. So I was like, let me download WeChat and get used to it. Apparently with WeChat, you pay your power bills, your credit card bills, your credit cards on there. You pay your rent, you pay your food with QR codes and boom. So you use this phone. People that don't have WeChat have a more difficult time doing things. But here's the thing. I can't use that WeChat in the United States. I can't go down to XL Energy and say, here, scan my QR code and get paid. (laughs) It doesn't work like that because that's a product that's made according to the laws in China for China by China. So if Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Airbnb, Uber, all of them migrate the majority of their services to advance it to like microchipping, face recognition payments, um, a dating service based on genetics. I swear to God, this is like a big deal. And a story is coming on that soon. Uh, you know, all that stuff is Eurocentric. We won't be able to put microchips in our hands and go to Starbucks and get free stars because we got face scanned or chip scanned because that's, that's okay only on European law. So we don't get the, the, the benefits here. Kind of like we can't use WeChat QR codes in America. You, you get what I'm saying? So the whole plan was 
that they would force us into using these things because it would be demonstrated in one place and we would be envious and wanted in another. But if the UK splits from from the EU, then those companies stay within UK regulations and the UK doesn't support those laws because they're not in the EU anymore and they aren't forced to implement those laws then that opportunity is missed and those big tech companies lose the business of the European Union because of regulations and rules and what you're allowed to do and what practices are allowed and blah, 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 blah. So this is basically what it is. It's not about, well, trade and security. Yeah, it kind of is. And it's not about the farmers crossing the border and saying, well, I want to sell my apples across the you know, street or something. It's not. It's about land grab. And why do they want the land grab? Because of the investments. And if you guys go to a map and look how big Northern Ireland is, you're going to be like, are you kidding? You want to take that little portion? Yeah, because that little portion has all those companies I rattled off plus another 300 in there. That is a big deal. Also, something people don't know. Highly rich in metals. And you know, I wonder why it's not exploited yet. So this is what is really going on with Brexit. Yes, it's about trade. Yes, it's about stability. Please don't tell me it's about protection. It's not like if the United Kingdom right now was attacked by Iran, for example, uh, you know, that, you know, Germany would be able to answer to that. Please. Russia would be way faster and probably do it without the masking just because they want to be in. (laughs) They don't even have toy soldiers to put forward. And the French are too busy putting them on Weight Watchers because they don't do anything. They don't have protection. The only thing they have is trade, and it's dictated trade. Trade that the British have no ability to dictate themselves. So the bottom line is they have nothing to lose as British except for land because that is the stipulation. The Germans say you either give us that piece of land... Or you don't get a Brexit. That is the backstop. Don't listen to the stop stories. Oh, it's borders. Oh, it's the farmers. Oh, we don't need gates. It's going to trigger us to want to like revolt and <laughs> reinvigor the IRA. Shut up. You've got to be real dumb to believe it. It's because of all the money that has been poured in by Twitter, Facebook, PayPal, LinkedIn, ah, you name it, Airbnb, Uber, Intel, Amazon, oh my gosh, the European fulfillment centers, cell phone companies, tech development companies, and all these crazy laboratories on the north, north, north part. So this is what they want, and they can't just pick it up and say, all right, we're moving. They can't, because if they could, they would have. So that is what is at stake. It's the ability for these companies to function under EU law or not. So the big tech meeting that happened in Brussels a couple of weeks ago was talking just about that. You got to make sure you've got that portion because it's going to hinder our businesses. Now, on that note, I want to wish everyone a fabulous evening and God bless all of you. Tomorrow is 9-11. It'll be interesting to see. If more is released on the day, I don't know. It could be considered tacky, but for me, it would be vindication. From all of us here at Red State, God bless. I'll see you all tomorrow. Same time, same place. Only on Red State Talk Radio.
down in Tennessee, a long way from the suits in D.C., but close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper, they grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper, just to bury my kids right up to their necks. 